This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Robbie Rajani, welcome to Inside Out. Dude, you actually said my name correctly. Normally, when I uh, when I hop on a podcast, they're like, Ravi, Vod- yeah, Rav, yeah, what's going on, man? That's what, <laughs> that's what I normally get. So I love that intro. Yeah, I'm doing good, brother. I'm doing good, man. I'm I'm excited to be here with you, as I said before, as we were in the green room, if you want to call it, because I know how intentional you are. So I'm excited for today, man. Oh, we're off to a good start, then, man. Okay, let's let's do this. So. Seven-year-old Ravi was a dancer. 16-year-old Ravi was in theater. Your mom put you in dance, much to your <laughs> chagrin. You, you went, and you now look back on those memories fondly. Your mom basically pulled a Mr. Miyagi on you, training you, not even knowing you were being trained. And then you randomly found yourself in theater because your best friend's dad was a playwright, but... When all that was done, you decided you wanted to make some money. You got into investment banking. You worked for Citigroup. And it wasn't until 2016 that you parted ways there that you decided to really channel some of the things that you learned when you were young. And so I want to start with this. What are engineered scenarios and why should we treat almost everything like a live performance? Man. I'm going to answer that question, but we got to go back ever so slightly because you know what's funny? I was having, uh, I had my mum round and my dad round the other day and I was like, mum, you know when I was seven and you know, you threw me into dance school. She was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. What do you mean? She's like, what do you mean threw you into dance school? You wanted to do it. I was like, rubbish, absolute rubbish. <laughs> and she was like, we've got two different stories. But yeah, man, I was around seven, eight or nine years old. She threw me into dance school. But uh, I've got to thank her for that decision now, man. But going back to your original question, dude, engineered scenarios are everything in life. Interviews, this podcast right now, presenting in front of your team, having to let an employee go being on a discovery call and talking about your services with somebody you've just met and literally have stalked their profile, LinkedIn profile, 30 minutes before to learn a little bit about them. They are all engineered scenarios, but the goal is, is to engage in authentic behavior in those scenarios. That's what a performance really is about. And when I heard there's a company called Heroic Public Speaking and the two founders there, they delivered a TEDx talk and they mentioned this concept and it just really stuck with me because I was like, that's just the truth. It, It really is the truth. Life is a performance. That's how I treat it anyway. Every single moment is a performance, but it's about bringing the realness to the table every single time. Yeah, it really is. And the thing is, because they are quote unquote engineered scenarios, we may think that we need to be 
phony or put on a front, but the the fact is you have to show up in these scenarios in a way that people can relate to. And we're going to talk a lot about that. Before we get into that, it, let's talk about this concept of a signature story. And yeah. you believe that it's uber critical to have a, a signature story. In fact, you say mm-hmm. it really is the lifeblood of the of the health of your business, especially if you're a consultant, a coach, or somebody that is interfacing with people. What exactly is a signature story and why is it so important for anybody that has a message to share? Well, I think, think about it like this, man. I mean, how many people have you interviewed on this podcast? And you ask the question, actually, you probably don't because you do your research, but imagine if you did ask the question, hey, man, how did you get started? What's your story? Mm. And that individual, eight minutes later, is talking about the chicken that they had two years ago. <laughs> and you're like, like, where's this going? Like, where is it going? So the idea is to have one powerful repeatable story that you can share on any platform in the world and do so in a way that connects and converts and the ultimate goal is to be able to create a movement around your message and mission and you can do that through sharing your story because dude you know this better than anybody man like in a world filled with consultants entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. business owners how do you differentiate yourself? If you've got five people in front of you, sales consultants who say, hey, I can increase your, uh, you know, I can increase your revenue by 22%. Great. How do you differentiate? Well, two, two ways, really. Your story, okay, your signature story, because people are buying into you. And then right. also people are buying into an outcome. So your unique mechanism to take them from pain to glory. And when those two are married up, it's a beautiful thing. Well, the interesting thing is that the story is unique but at the same time, it needs to be relatable. And I, I love the way you frame that because you need to have something that will allow you to stand out, something that's going to make you different. There's a noisy world out there and what's going to differentiate you from everyone else. But the interesting other side to this is that it at the same time needs to be relatable. So let's talk a little bit about the building blocks of a signature story. Like what is the DNA? If, if being relatable is one part what else is part of it? And, and why is relatable so important? Yes, God, dude, it's a good question. Let me start with why relatable is so important. Then I'll talk you through how to actually go through that process. Now, think about it like this. How many people have climbed Mount Everest? Not many. There's like many, thousands. Yeah. yeah, thousands in the world since the beginning of time. But how many people get shouted at from their partner about putting their clothes in the washing machine and forgetting to put it in the dryer and then going through this cycle where over and over again, you're getting shouted at. Dude, it's that people can relate to that. So the goal is you need to be seen as somebody of value, somebody who can also solve a problem for somebody, but also somebody who's relatable. I was delivering this workshop a little while ago to this think tank over in New York and there was a group of CEOs and one of them stuck their hands up and he's like, ah, Rav, I'll be honest, man, love this story stuff. Super cool, but I'm a wealth manager. How can I really be relatable and maybe even talk about some of the problems I've had with money because then maybe somebody won't want to do business with me. So mm. there's this fear that if we talk about, you know, I don't know if this individual did have problems with debt or whatever, but if this individual did have problems with debt, does it make him any less of a good wealth manager, in my eyes, it makes him stronger because he's been through a process, come out the other side, and he's willing to share it. 
But the key is you want your audience to feel empathy for you, not sympathy. So mm. you don't want to be throwing up and showing up. Can you imagine on a first date? I mean, it's, you know, the moment where somebody says uh, within the first three minutes, they're telling you everything about their history. And you're like, OK, I mean, I just, I just asked how you <laughs> right, were. Right, so right, right, right. It's, there's a fine line between that. But you want to be relatable, but also seen as somebody of value. I think that's very important. So what else? What else do we think about as, as you're thinking about this story? Because you say yeah. you need to own it, right? And I totally agree. Yeah. And it's got to be repeatable. We know that because the more you tell it, the better you get at sharing it, the, the more natural it becomes. Because we, we all know, and I'm in, I've been in sales, you've been in sales, and we know yeah. that when you say something over and over again, you, you really do own it. It becomes second nature. It's on autopilot. So what yeah. else yeah. do you help people understand when it comes to the building blocks of the signature story yeah good question man and we we know i i uh, i know we needed to answer that so let's walk through a quick process and then i'll walk through some ingredients because they're two separate things now the first thing is is when people think about sharing their story or crafting their story they're like okay cool let's uh let's start typing let's go into powerpoint let's put up a beautiful slide deck and the problem with that is is it makes them feel busy and it makes them feel productive, mm -hmm. but they end up sharing and crafting a story that doesn't actually resonate with anybody. Why? Because often, well, not often, we all want to be liked, right? So you end up trying to find a story that appeals to everybody, but helps nobody. So I have a specific process that I go through, which is called the sumo method. Now, the sumo method, and why sumo, by the way? Well, in sumo wrestling, the key philosophy which underpins that sport is purification. So what I'm doing for individuals is helping them purify their message. So mm. when it comes to S of the sumo method, the first part is solidify your perfect audience avatar. Here's what I mean by that. If I'm speaking to a millennial versus I'm speaking to somebody who's over 60, different stories will resonate, different pain mm. points different version of what they want to be or who they want to be in six months time. If you get that wrong, your story is going to miss the connection mark. And there's no conversion without connection. So you really need to understand who you're speaking to. So those are the classic questions like, you know, what is keeping them up at night? You know, what are the big, big million dollar problems that are draining their time, money and energy? Where do they actually want to be in six months' time? What have they already tried which hasn't worked, which is preventing them from getting to that goal? So understanding the gap. The bigger the gap, you know you know this, being in sales, the, the larger the gap, the bigger the problem, the more value that you can bring to the table. So going through these signature step of questions to really unravel, okay, I'm trying to impact one person. I know what they want to achieve, after hearing my story, I know what I want to achieve. I know what objections they may have if I've got a call to action, etc. Really understanding that. Keeping it watertight. Then the second part of the sumo method is you, which is unlocking your story. Now, people are like, man, I don't have a story to tell. I, I don't have a story to tell. I, you know, I don't have any stories. I don't have any, man. One of the quickest ways to actually, for you listeners right now, to think about um, grabbing stories is take a spreadsheet, okay, or just pen to paper. And every day at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m., whenever you go to bed, write down a moment in that day. Write down where you were, 
Write down where the challenging obstacle was. Write down the turning point where stuff started to change and write down what happened at the end. Just literally in one line. And it could be something as funny as your daughter fell off the chair. Okay. Mm -hmm. You think you're in the kitchen. You think she's crying because she's curled up on the floor. But actually you look closer and she's laughing. What ends up happening is you end up having to take her to accident and emergency. But she's laughing the entire way. Now... Why that's beautiful is if you're speaking the next day to a group of CEOs who are going through hard times but need the permission to shift their mindset to be positive in spite of uncertainty, in spite of stress, that story can inspire them. But what we immediately go to is, okay, I'm not a CEO. Let me just talk about the pandemic and the stuff that, you know, CEOs went through. Let me talk about Richard Branson and stuff. There, there is times and places for that, but you've got stories which are your own, which are your own, which you could share. So mm. the, that part of the process, unlocking your stories, finding stories in your day-to-day, but then also being interviewed. For example, asking questions such as, man, what did you want to be when you grew up? Like, what was your superpower? Like, what would friends have told you is Billy's one big thing that he's amazing at? What's his gift? What did you want to be when you grew up? What did your mother and father do? What did society expect from you? What was your biggest failure, success? And going through these questions, and before you know it, when it's transcribed, you're like, okay, hold on. I've got a life that I've lived which is completely different. There's nobody on this earth who has the same story as you. But here's the problem. We are trying to be perfect in the eyes of our ideal client. But Billy, man, you know this, dude. Imperfection equals connection. Perfection doesn't exist. Like, I, I'm, I know, I'm, you, you can ask my partner, dude. I'm the most imperfect dude in the world. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, really understanding that you have a story to tell. You have stories to tell. And for the right person, your message could be exactly what they need to hear for them to take action. Because think about it. How many times has your parents said, do this, do that? Then you hear a story from somebody else, okay? And it moves you to the point where you're like, oh my God, I'm ready. I'm ready to take action. That could be you. And that individual could be your ideal client. And then we've got M. Yeah, Go dude, on, and I, I just gotta, I, I, I just gotta say, I know I want to hear the M and the O. I just gotta yeah, say, yeah, 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 yeah. I love this imperfection equals connection, and connection equals conversion. I love that yeah. that framework right there. But I want to hear the M and yeah. the O. Well, dude, M is methodically crafting a compelling narrative. So. It's really around, then this is the process where we, you know, we go through and create your signature story, which is the process that I'm actually going through right now for the uh, the new program that I've launched, which you're probably talking about, which is a signature story intensive. And But as people go through that in this part of the process, what they're learning now is how to take their clients' pains, how to take all of these different stories they have and morphing it into a two to four minute, realistically, we want to keep it between two to three minutes, right? You don't want to keep it any any longer than that. A two to three minute story that you then have that you can share on your website. You can share on a video inside of your sales funnel. You can share on stage. You can share on a discovery call. You've then got that repeatable story. O is then ooze confidence as you deliver it like a mm. world-class communicator. So the truth is, man, and I've been, I've been put under fire for this before, but I'm going to say it again. Content, content is 1% of the game. 
but it needs to be 100% on point. 99% is delivery. That's my truth. And I know a lot of people are like, oh no, like you can't just deliver fluff. Of course you can't deliver fluff. That's why it needs to be 100% on point. But you can have the best script in the world, the best story in the world. But if you can't deliver it with passion, impact, and purpose, nothing's going to happen. You're going to move anybody. So in that part of the process, what I'm teaching people is tools like speed, volume, intonation, tone, how they're embodying their message, pace, the pause, emphasis, all of these things so that they are consistently refining and tweaking their signature story. Mm, I'm so glad you brought up all of those terms because I want to dive into those in a little bit. Yeah. Before we do, I want to talk about energy, specifically what you believe is, is the value of cultivating magnetic energy. How do you do that and why? Why should we be doing that? What are some ways or some tips for us to be cultivating? Because to your point, like we, we kind of act like a magnet. We're either going to attract or repel. Yeah. So how do we cultivate yeah. that magnetic energy? Man, it's such a good question. And I'd say I'd go to two specific ways here, which uh, is exactly what I teach in a, in a different program of mine. And one of the things that I teach is the alter ego. Now, I say this with caution, and I say this in a way where I don't mean an unhealthy alter ego where you've had a few drinks and they're like, oh, <laughs> Billy Boy is out again. Like, it's not that. Right, it's, right. Think about it like it. this. In 2003, <laughs> yeah, in 2003, Beyonce developed an alter ego. And if you go on YouTube and you listen to her interview with Oprah back in the day, long time ago, she talks about why she developed that alter ego. And she suggests that it gave her more confidence. It helped her reduce performance anxiety and it allowed her to step into the most ideal version of herself where she speaks with zero inhibitions and she's confident as hell. By the way, this is common amongst performers. Adele, the singer, got inspiration from Beyonce. was like, well, hell, my my alter ego is going to be called Sasha Carter. Beyonce's was Sasha Fierce. Her album was called Sasha Fierce many years later. Okay, so think about it. 50 Cent, Curtis Jackson, Eminem. I don't know what his real name is. Marshall Mathers or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, the alter ego is pretty simple. For your ideal audience, what version of yourself the most healthiest magnetic version of yourself, do they need to see for them to take action on your message or inspire them to move to, you know, in this case, whatever it could be, you know, losing weight, you know, taking their business to the next level, whatever it is. So crafting a powerful alter ego is super helpful. And the second thing is having a bulletproof pre-presentation routine. So for example, you and I, before we hopped on here, you were like, Rav, let's just have 30 minutes to have uh, 30 seconds rather to take a breath. Now, think about Tony Robbins. Before he Mm -hmm. goes on stage, he's like fist pumping the air millions of times. He's getting his body moving. I get my clients to walk through a simple three-step process. And it could be whatever they really want to make it. So it could be meditation. For me, I love Kevin Hart, man. So I'll I'll watch Kevin Hart before because his energy transfers to me. and And I'm just like, oh, wow. I feel magnetic now. So whatever works for you, two-step, three-step routine, but something which you can do, which puts you in that state of high levels of certainty and allowing you to express yourself as Rav and Billy, not the filtered version of ourselves that we can often show if we're feeling uncertain in that time, anxious, insecure, whatever it is. Well, I I love that you 
don't say you got to do it exactly this way. You're saying, no, do it the way for you that will work for yeah. you as an individual. But that what you found is a two or three part structure allows for a pre-ritual a routine to have consistency. So what are some other examples? You gave some really good ones, the meditation, the fist pumping. Yeah. What have some of your clients found or other people that are noteworthy? What are they doing to have that pre, uh, pre-speaking routine, that ritual? What are some other ideas you have? So a lot of people, for example, I can go off the experience from my clients. They'll love moving their body, right? So some of them mm -hmm. will want to do press-ups, push-ups, whatever it could be. Some will do breath work. Some will do meditation. Some will even speak to a loved one. Some may take have taken a picture of a, you know, a memorable moment in their life which they achieved and they look back of it. So it raises their certainty level so they can visualize the, well, evoke that emotion within them of what it felt like in that moment so they can carry that on to their presentation or speaking to their team or whatever it could be. Others could be sitting in solitude. Some it's reading a book. Others it's certain music. So my belief is, is there is no blueprint or formula when it comes to communication. You and I could go on the stage with the exact same script, right? And you could do an amazing job and I could completely flop. It, it, our hands could be in the exact same position or like, you know, our tone could be in this way, but people can recognize real, man. Real recognizes real. So, the, yep. you know, your hands being in a certain position and, you know, your body posture, it's like, tell me about the most viral TED Talks. Are they all exactly the same? No, they're, they're not. They have an amazing message. That is the common thread. The message speaks volumes, but... They themselves are quirky, they're unique, but they are comfortable in their own skin. Now, one of the things that I do with clients is I didn't have the expertise to do this, so I hired somebody, but I hired a hypnotherapist. Mm. And I hired a rapid transformational coach, aka hypnotherapist, to work inside of my program. So she developed, she was originally working with clients one-to-one -one inside of a program, uh, and then she's moved to actually having a course in there where she makes them go through meditation recordings and then a hypnotherapy recording. That rewires the mindset and it allows you slowly over time to really step into who you want to be on stage, in, you know, at work, on video versus who you think others want you to be, which is a big mm. difference. Okay, so let's, this is great, man. I'm, oh, this is super fascinating to me. Okay, so I know you've yeah. done it too. You've done this hypnotherapy and I'm mm. I'm intrigued, Bro. AF, as the kids would say. Dude. I'm so I'm so intrigued by this. Okay, so it rewires our brain. What what? How does it work? Like, what else does it do that you found value? Because clearly, if you're involving her in your in your in your programs and and yeah. putting her in contact with your clients, what what are the benefits? And then I guess like just walk us through like how it all works for those who haven't been through it before. <sighs> Dude, I remember, so this was last year, and my sister's like, yo, Rav, you should try hypnotherapy. I'm like, nah, I'm not doing that woo-woo stuff. Get out of here. And she's like, Rav, seriously, try it, try it. I've done it. It was super amazing. You know, uh, this this lady I've used is great. And I was like, all right, I'll try it. She's like, pick something, you know, you want to work on. So, you know, one of your challenges. So I got my book of challenges. <laughs> and I was like, let sure, me sure, pick sure. this one. Um, so had a call with her. And I'm not gonna lie, I was nervous, man. I was like, so what are you gonna do? Like, you know, you're gonna like, 
Like, what are you going to do when I'm asleep? I don't want no crazy stuff. And she's like, no, no, trust me. You'll be good. So we had a conversation and she said, you know, you're going to be fine. Just make sure you uh, leave two and a half hours, two hours for our session. I was like, what, what are you going to be doing in that time? And she's like, don't worry. I've, you know, I've done this thousands of times before. I was like, all right. So we got there. Dude, FYI, to forward a little bit, I was in tears throughout the session. Like, I'm crying, bro. Wow. And I was like, afterwards... She like we we came out of the um, came out of the session, and I felt like I I was I, I don't know hangover is not the right word maybe like I had been in a forty hour therapy session mm. like it was it I felt so relaxed but I had a headache man I was like oh my god this feels so strange but ultimately and it feels like a bit of a blur now it, also because it was uh, some time ago but. It, she walks you through putting you in a very calm and relaxed state. That's what she did with me. Then working on the very specific things, beliefs and challenges that I wanted to work on. She took me back to memories from my childhood, which were mm. sources of those beliefs or uh, helping me remove those bottlenecks and challenges. Mm. Then programming she me through. a yeah, yeah, exactly. And then she dude, this is the interesting thing. Then she walked me through what I would have said or felt or had a conversation with in that moment as young Rav, as like mm. Rav as an eight-year-old, as Rav as an 11-year-old, rewiring and then moving to, now we've built the foundation, moving to relaying that with positive affirmations, positive beliefs and really strengthening it. And then I had to listen to a recording that she made for me for 30 days in a row. Now, once again, I've probably explained this without any technical jargon <laughs> because I'm not the expert in this, but that was my experience. And dude, I loved it. And even when I started doing research on it, dude, like Mike Tyson used to have hypnotherapy when he was in his heyday training, lots of athletes doing it. I was like, man, I want to give this a go. Mm. it's kind of like a form of and, and i like that she gave you this 30-day thing it's almost like a form of of reprogramming yourself through visualization and almost like this yeah. putting yourself in this almost dreamlike state and i'm glad that you explained it without all the jargon so that anyone can yeah. understand it i'm fascinated yeah. by this and you've you've definitely piqued my curiosity because i've always been intrigued but i haven't mm. ever done it so now i am yeah. super curious about this so let's 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 talk about this concept, getting back to this idea of how we show up when we're telling stories. There's a term you use, and I've heard this term before, and you and I have talked about it in previous conversations. What exactly yeah. is story selling? So the way I used to get, I suppose the way I used to think about it is, or explain it to others was... When it came to storytelling, people would be like, oh, yeah, you mean like campfire stories or or you remember that story about when we, you know, we got drunk that one summer. OK, there's a there's a time and place for different types of stories. But story selling for me in my world is being able to tell impactful, high impact stories in a way that truly connects with your ideal client and moves them to the next stage of your sales process. So the days where we shove features and benefits down people's mm. throats have gone. To be honest, they've been gone for a while. If you take a look at Steve Jobs' 1984 Apple presentation where he released the Macintosh, he didn't go into, okay, so the Macintosh is this, this, and this. Buy today for $99. <laughs> and then you know what? There's five left, you know, at $49. Like 
He didn't do that. What he did was he introduced the villain. He gave context, date, time, and setting. He introduced the villain, which was IBM, okay? And then, okay, then he introduced the Macintosh. Then he talked about the specific solution that he was bringing to the table. And for me, it's a powerful way to really sell your services, especially in the world we live in today where there's so much noise and stories are sticky, man. Stories are sticky. People love them. That's why Hollywood is a huge industry. No, 100%. And so agree with you on this like feature dumping. And we taught this at Tesla. Like if you start yeah. just and there's plenty of features, right? I mean, this is a Tesla. You yeah. can go on for freaking days yeah. about how badass these cars are. But if you yeah. do that, you're missing the point of how people really want to be talked to and, and want to connect on an emotional level, which is why I think this idea of the villain is so important. And I'm glad you brought it up because that's yeah. literally where I was going as, as oh, I was really? thinking okay. about this. Yeah, yeah. So the villain is really important. Why is it so important? I know one of the reasons is urgency. So can you talk a little bit about why we should be thinking about urgency and emotion, why we should be thinking about a villain? And, and you gave one example, but any other examples you have, I would love to hear. Oh, dude. Yeah, man. It's such a great question. Dude, I love your questions, man. I, I really do. I'm a proper fanboy for you. The way you <laughs> did it with your um, but I'll give an example. Think about any Disney movie you've watched. Aladdin. Yep. Who's the villain? Jafar. Lion King, Scar, Little Mermaid, that weird purple looking thing, that Medusa, I forgot her name, right? But every single movie since the beginning of time has an antagonist okay, sure. who is agitating the pain. And it's the common enemy, right? Everybody's rooting for the underdog, okay? And they're rooting against the villain. Now, why this is important in a world that we live in when you're selling your products and services is does your customer really even have an awareness around their problem to start with? Do they even have an awareness around their problem? A mentor of mine, Scott Oldford, he talks about marketing in three lanes. He says, look, there's the sidewalk, the slow lane, and the fast lane. The sidewalk is, I don't know if I've got a problem, Billy. Uh, to be honest, I'm just looking around. I don't even know if I've got a problem. I, you've, I don't know if you've got anything to solve. So That's if so you cool. come in hot with your products and services, they're going to be like, yes yeah, sorry not a good fit then if you take a look at the slow lane well that's the individual who says you know what i think i've got a problem i'm going to look around for the right people to help me solve it right and then you've got the far saying they're like you know i've got an itch i need to scratch but mm. if you take about if you take a look at somebody who's on the sidewalk for example who doesn't have an awareness around their problem being able to I suppose the best way to put it is being able to illuminate the big problem and what would happen if it's removed is super important. Now, let's 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 go back to the world we live in today. OK, so in the UK, there's some big challenger banks like mm. Monzo, for example. Now, in their marketing, what they did was they didn't say, hey, here's our new solution, which is online, easy to use. They said, by the way, you know the big banks? You know the big banks like NatWest, you know, all the American banks? They said, you know those people who are ripping you off, who are doing this, doing that? Yeah, well, you know what? There's a different solution out there. So it's, I wouldn't say creating a problem. It's highlighting a problem, 
Mm -hmm. Okay. It's highlighting the million dollar problem and then it's presenting the solution. I think it's super important, man. I think it's super important in the world we live in today. It is because I think when people, I mean, I, when I sold solar, the, the problem and the reason why people wanted solar is that they, they didn't like their utility. The utility was the villain and we were coming to save the day with renewable energy and the monopoly of the utility that's been in business a hundred plus years that doesn't allow people to have the freedom of choice is repressing them. And, and it actually angers people. It actually got people so fired up when you're able really? to clearly convey a message of why this entity is the villain. I love that. Another thing that I love is a framework that you share about how you show up um, we talked about energy before, and I want to go a little bit yeah. deeper into this. You say you should stack energy in the room, you know, get that yeah. early participation, get their attention yeah. early. How do you do that? And, and why is it so important to, as you put it, stack the energy? Well, let's think about, let's say this, man, I fly down. Okay. You're hosting an event, right? I fly mm -hmm. down. You're like, okay, Rav, you're speaking next. The room has got a thousand people. Okay, it's a thousand people. What are they doing? Well, they're obeying audience etiquette. Meaning, imagine your kids are in the audience and they're being loud, right? They wouldn't because they're good kids. But imagine if they are, right? And you're like, can you, shh, Ravi's speaking. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. They're sitting on their seats, okay? Everybody's sitting on their seats. They're quiet. There's an etiquette about it. What's the etiquette in Zoom meetings? <laughs> Is the camera on? Is the camera off? Are people secretly scrolling? Are they thinking about their emails? What like mm. are they chasing their dog around the room? There isn't one. So the goal is to get people's attention and then transform it into a connection. Now, traditionally, I would start from story at a live event or a presentation, right? But in a virtual setting, and this is not a rule, this is a strategy. You could start with story, but one strategy is stacking the energy. Here's what I mean. Imagine Kevin Hart. Okay, I love the dude. So let's take it to Kevin Hart. He's out on stage. He's like, hey, what's going on, people? Hey, London, how are we doing tonight? Everyone's like, woo! Canada, what's going on? Wah! LA in the building, yeah! And what he's doing there in the room is he's stacking the energy. He's getting people's attention. So one way to emulate that in a virtual setting is using the chat function. So there's three mm. steps. The three steps are very simple. Number one. Ask a low pain threshold question. Okay, raise your hand or type yes in the chat. Okay, now we're in well, now we're in Zoom land. Type yes in the chat if you feel like the weekends just don't last long enough. Type yes in the chat. Everyone's going yes, 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 yes. And what happens is now you can make people feel like a celebrity in their own space. So I'm like, Billy saying yes. Jamie saying no. Jamie, you love work that much? Okay, this, this dude needs to get promoted. Billy, actually, tell us, grab the mic, Billy. Tell us what you did this weekend, man. So what's happening now is I'm giving Billy the stage. Billy becomes the hero, not me. Okay, not me. So now... Also, what you're secretly doing subtly is the audience know you're paying attention. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Think about it at school when the teacher was like, ah, oh, Ravi, can you read page three, please? I know you're not listening. I'm like, okay, snap. I've got to <laughs> listen. I've got to listen, right? So you're making people feel like a celebrity, but also you're letting them know where you stand and how you, know, how you roll. Okay, it's very important setting that off the bat. 
setting that presence off the bat. Question number two. Now, very important. Medium pain threshold question, and I'll explain why I'm talking about these thresholds in a second. Medium pain, but make this quantitative. Okay, so people, on a scale of one to 10, let me know how important do you really believe storytelling is to the health of your business in 2021, okay? So people are putting two, eight, nine. Here's the beauty. I can assess the impact of my message, story, and presentation at the end of the presentation by asking the exact same question. Mm. So then the same people are saying five, eight, nine, ten, right? So you're assessing the impact of your message. Final question, high pain threshold, meaning I've now stacked the energy in the room enough that I've earned the right to ask a question where if I ask is the first question, hey, by the way, what's your biggest challenge? They're like, who are you? I don't even know who you are just yet, but I've stacked mm. the energy enough. So with the high pain threshold, I increase a question. I increase my likelihood of getting an authentic answer. And the type of question could be, what is the one bottleneck that you, you're having or you've got inside of your business when it comes to storytelling that I could help you solve today? People are literally telling you, the decision makers and influencers are literally telling you what they want. And mm -hmm. if you need to pivot your message, those three things will then, you've got their attention, then you can move to story. Right, and I think as you've said, the, the order matters because you're giving them this low, low pain threshold, medium, and then high pain threshold. And yeah. it, it allows you to have a greater chance that you're gonna get the responses in a genuine way or, or even a response for that matter uh, another thing that you talk a lot about, and I'm a big advocate for this just in life, yeah. uh, but certainly on stage, storytelling is momentum. How should we be yeah. thinking about momentum generally? And is there any way, so if you capture their attention and you, you really get them fired up in the beginning and you start getting them involved, participating, how do you maintain that momentum? Oh, dude, good question, man. And I suppose there's two ways we could take this. There's the first way is assuming we all we all do this. We assume that everybody absorbs information the same way we do. Mm. I love video, right? That, I, I'm a sucker for video, man. I just really do. I don't absorb much through text. I'm a listener. I love video. So if you take a look at Neil Fleming's VAC model, you've got the visual learners, the auditory learners. Okay, and the kinesthetic, I think that's mm -hmm. how you say it. So mm -hmm. the visual are the videos, the images, that stuff. The auditory, you know, is speech. And the kinesthetic could be, for example, exercise and activities. Now, what some presenters might do is throughout the entire presentation, they're just speaking. Or they've got very text-heavy slides. Mm. Think about how your message could penetrate the minds of different individuals and decision makers who process information differently that will allow you to keep momentum going versus people switching off because how many times have you been through a presentation where halfway through you're like i know how this is going to go <laughs> i know exactly <laughs> totally, totally, how this yeah. is gonna first 10 seconds somebody stands up and they go Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. No, you don't, bro. Why are you saying that? Yeah, you don't appreciate everybody's time. You just felt like you had to say that. The audience now are like, I know how the remaining hour is going to go. Boop, snooze. Scroll Instagram, check emails. You've lost them. So yeah. a lack of predictability and ensuring that your message is packaged in different ways to appeal to different people. Now, how do we get momentum in life? Because I love that point. It was I put out a post the other day and 
I said that I got my LinkedIn, I started my LinkedIn journey officially, like properly in March 2020, right? When the pandemic began. And it's got to the point now for me where I've still got such a long way to go and I'm super excited for it. But I now know it's going to cost me more to quit growing my brand than continue. And mm. the beautiful thing about momentum is, is just that it keeps you going. It's like a snowball effect versus the first month or two. It's easy to go, you know, if I quit now, nobody's watching, like, whatever, man, no one's going to know. I can, I can just say, like, I can just say I got COVID or something. Like, I don't know, but you, you get what I mean? You know, people can totally. easily quit and throw the towel in in the first few months. Now you're pot committed. So one of the things that you, 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 you yeah. said quickly, but I don't want to let, I don't want to let this get buried is lack of predictability or unpredictability. Yeah. Why is this so important? It makes perfect sense to me, right? Especially from a momentum standpoint, when you're unpredictable, uh, people want to pay attention, but maybe you could share a little bit more about, you know, what you found in terms of the, the concept of predictability as it relates to storytelling and being on stage. Totally, man. I think in the world today, stories need to embody what I call acorn. Okay, they need to embody acorn. And what I mean by that is, A, they need to be attention grabbing. C, they need to be connection focused. O, they need to be organically unpredictable. R, they need to be resolution focused. Okay, and N, they should nurture your audience to the next stage of your sales process or the next action that you want them to take. We're talking about in a business world. Now, as soon as I said acorn there, I saw you were like, what? Like, what? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't expect you to say that, Rav, right? Because what you it's expected good too. to do I'm in so that I'm so glad moment, that you did. <laughs> yeah. So it's like one of those moments where you would have expected me to say something, but I'm trying to create a pattern interruption. Why? Mm. Because the number one thing that I'm competing against in this moment is not previous podcasters, not the previous version of myself, none of that. I'm competing against your other drivers which are pulling your attention in this moment. I need your attention because attention is the currency. So if you're thinking about repurposing a, a post, servicing that client, getting to the kids, looking after the dog, that's what I'm competing against. Mm. That. So I need an effective way to get your attention and a lack of predictability is very important. Going back to that person who listens to 10 seconds of a presentation and then knows how the remaining 60 minutes is going to go, there's a problem. There's a problem with that especially in the noisy world we live in today. Well, my love language is, is frameworks and acronyms and things like that. So keep, oh, really? uh, okay. keep talking dirty to me, my friend. Uh, I, I love it. <laughs> speaking, speaking, of, speaking of frameworks, and I think you highlighted a few of these, but I know you have seven questions yeah. that you suggest asking before speaking. I think you mentioned a few yeah, of them in the beginning, but would love it if you could give us that framework because I think that's super, super valuable. Yeah, man. I think there's there's a lot of questions that people should go through and ask themselves who they're really speaking to. But um, some classic examples are, who is the one person I want to impact by sharing my message, story, or presentation today? And remember, going back to what I said at the beginning, if you're trying to speak to everybody, you're going to impact nobody, right? Mm, Second mm -hmm. thing is, is, what are the problems that are keeping them up at night you know the problems that they secretly won't admit to their boss or even their partner the things that are really really creating the villain in their life right so that's where we really understand the villain in their life and then think about this is what 
where do they want to be? Where do they want to be in six months time, 12 months time? Because through your message, you want to paint a picture of a different future, right? You know, people have two roads to go down. They can keep doing exactly what they're doing and get the same results. Or what would life be like in six months time? What you want for them is different to what they want for them sometimes. So make sure you know what they want for them, right? Mm. And then, for example, what is the unique mechanism to take your clients from pain to glory? So in a world of sales consultants who claim they do the same thing, if you have a unique mechanism, people are then buying into an outcome. So you stop competing because nobody else can solve a problem in the way that you can. It's a secret mm -hmm. source. Think about it. What's your secret source? Sure. And then it's, for example, what are the key objections that you will face? So for example, if at the end of your presentation, you've got a call to action, which is, here's my product, buy it. And somebody says, it's too expensive, Rav, right? No way. You then know that inside of your presentation, if that's the number one objection that you get, you can share a story where you could say, it's funny, man. Like, I remember I was at this conference in Singapore back in November, like 2018. And this dude walks over and he taps me on the shoulder and he's got a badge and it says Jim. Okay, his badge says Jim. And he says, Ravi, listen, I loved your presentation, but I'll be real. Man. Your services are too expensive. There's no way I can afford that right now. So you're sharing a story. I And then what you're doing is you're then going to, you know, given the context, date, time, and setting, Singaporean conference, the conflict where he comes up to me and says this awkward question out of the blue. What's the turning point? What's the transformation? The transformation could be that he ended up buying a product. If my call to action at the end of my presentation is buying a product, that's a great story. If, for example, uh, to help, you know, smash the objection in your client's mind. If my call to action at the end is then booking a discovery call, the transformation should be, Jim, booking a discovery call. If it's uh, following me on social, it's Jim following me on social. So the call to action and also the resolution of that story should be very similar. Now, why that's important is people don't buy what they haven't already played out in their mind. Think about when you're making a big purchase, like a car or something. You're already figuring out, oh, what's it gonna feel like, you know, when I put the keys in the ignition and I walk away, how am I gonna pay off that debt? So you need to put them at ease and handle those objections inside of their mind. And by actually mentioning your name in third person, Rav, I can't afford your services, it's too expensive. You're allowing your audience to future pace themselves to that scenario where they're asking you that same question and already mm. rehearsing it in their mind. So that's an example. Um, I went down a rabbit hole there, but you, no, you get no, what I, I mean. I right? But I love that. I love that rabbit hole yeah. you went down. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go. go no, I was going to say I was going to come out that rabbit hole. But dude, you are Alice in Wonderland. So take me wherever you want, man. No, no. Take us out. Take us out. Did you have one more thing you wanted to share on the question front? Well, there's a... There's a few a more few questions. More? Go like, for it. For Go example, for it. Share it, man. I uh, want them. I want them. What did they want at the end of the presentation? What do you want? You know, all the stuff that we spoke about before. But let's let's take it back. Let's take it back to what you wanted to ask, man. I, no, I was going to officially apologize to all my listeners because they have sore hands from writing notes this entire session, <laughs> dude. You, you, you're, you're like a well of insights and knowledge and frameworks that people can actually apply, which I love. Uh, and I don't like leaving any juice left in the orange. Are there any other questions that stand out that, that are worth mentioning? You know, off the top of my head, there definitely are, right? Off the top of my head right now, I can't think of any. Um, 
And when I get excited, I speak fast. So your audience are probably gonna have to put me on, you know, two times slow to really get <laughs> to, to get to get the juice. But um, off the top of my head, no. But I think if I had to pick the number one most important question that people should answer before designing any story or presentation is, who are you speaking to? Mm, it makes perfect who are you sense. Speaking to, you got to it's right. So important. You got to know. So you got to know who you're speaking to. You, you know, it's interesting. You you have a background not only in theater, but also on TV, speaking to the camera. We're in this age yeah. where even though we are hopefully getting to a point where we're going to be doing more in-person things, the, the, the reality is there's a whole lot more virtual than ever before, and a lot of people yeah. are going to continue to do that. So I do want to talk yeah. a little bit about this type of communication when we're talking yeah. to a camera. What are some tips that you have? Um, maybe you start with some mistakes that you see when people are talking to a camera. And then what are some yeah. ways to better communicate when there's a lens in front of you? Man, and uh, some of these tips I'm about to give are from my own failures and mistakes as well best as ones. what I've coached others to do, right? Yeah, best ones, man. So I'll give you an example. One of the big things is they don't look at the lens. And I know that sounds so, so silly, but if you take a look at me now, Billy, imagine if I'm telling you a powerful story right now and I'm doing this and you're looking mm -hmm. at me, you're like, I can't connect. Imagine if I do this now. Yeah. The beauty about virtual is I can look at one lens yet look into the eyes of thousands of people. When else would you have the opportunity to do that? Because in person, you have to scan the room. But in this scenario, the beauty is one lens unlimited number of people's eyes so look down the lens man look down the lens now the second thing is how many times have you rang a loved one an elderly loved one and you go ring 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 you're like oh they're not they're not picking up but you know that they're just figuring out how to unlock their phone and suddenly <laughs> they go hey how you doing it's it's too close right their, their face is too close so what you got to remember is be at an arm's length so I always take an arm away, right? An arm's length away. I'm doing it right now away from the lens because think about it. If somebody came up to you at a live event and they did exactly that when they were introducing themselves, you'd be like, dude, like get out of my space, man. So the truth is in person, uh, on, on a virtual setting rather, you want to emulate that. You want to be, you don't want to trigger a fight or flight response. You want to be at an arm's length. So I think that's super important. Other things are people will often talk too much because there's a lack of feedback. Meaning, if you've got a thousand people in the audience and everyone is on mute and you're talking down the lens, how do you know if your story landed? How do you know? So what ends up happening is people start talking very, very fast and they start talking through it. They start talking through it. They start talking too much because they're wondering if it landed and they're just like, ha nervous laughing. So you've really got to be able to get comfortable with silence. You've really got to get comfortable with silence. And that's why, man, you know, a lot of the stuff that we spoke about was the inner work at the beginning. Because the inner work is going to help you become comfortable in your own skin on camera. It's going to help you really be comfortable with silences and giving the audience silence so they've got a moment to absorb. The final thing, very important. I mean, we could talk about this for days. But final thing, which I would say is very important, is because they're not Gary Vaynerchuk or Kim Kardashian. They've not been brought up talking to a camera at a young age. 
So what they end up doing is, is they sound like this. You know, if, if me and Bill are having a chat, okay, in person, we're having a drink, it's all good. We're talking like this. The moment it's on camera, it's like, hey, how are you, Billy? How are things with the... They don't sound like themselves. Right, unnatural. But you want to sound like the individual that is around a dinner table having a chat with friends, okay? Not the pub, you know, like silly banter or like things like that where it just takes it to another level. It's like a nice dinner with friends, like people that you're close to. That's how you want people to feel when they're listening to hear you speak. Now, one tip for actually doing that is I got taught this, okay? So in 2015, it must have been, I remember I went on this TV presenter course and they went in three two, one, action. And I was like, okay, so, uh, yeah, so what, what, what we're doing here, people, is, and he, he was like, whoa, cut, cut, cut. He's like, what was that? And I was like, I'm, 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 being, a, I'm being a presenter, man. That, that's who I am. And he's like, no, 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 that, that wasn't presenting. Here, Rav, come here, come here. And he brings me over and he's like, Rav, listen, you need to talk to the camera as if it's your best friend. I'm like, why, dude? He said, because when you talk to the camera like it's your best friend, Rav, you'll speak with zero inhibitions. And you'll smile and your eyes will start smiling as well. And when you do that, people are going to connect with you, dude. You want people to connect with you, right? I was like, fine. But, but anyway, it really, really stuck with me, man. So get a sticky note, put your friend's name on it and put an arrow to the lens. So every time you find yourself going into corporate jargon and trying to talk like the CEO mm -hmm. of JP Morgan, you come back to, man, I'm just Rav. I'm just like you. I'm just like you. And being able to sprinkle in, rather, that human language will change the game of your presentation and message. What a great tip that he gave you. And, I, and I've heard, I think yeah. you've described it as imagine the lens is the, the eyes of your friend, right? Like imagine that you're yeah. looking into your friend's eyes. That right there is pure gold. So I want to talk because you brought up silences. And, and silent mm. pauses, which is so, so important. And I've been very active on Clubhouse. So I've been thinking a lot about things like tone, which is the character of, of how your, your voice comes through. I've been thinking yeah. a lot about tempo or cadence, which is really the rhythm of your speech. And you talk a lot about intonation. Uh, and mm. inflection, right? Intonation and inflection really is the, the, the rise and fall of a word and intonation is the rise and fall of a sentence. And so mm. all of these things are super nuanced and often interchanged, but talk a little yeah. bit about like maybe intonation. I know you compare it to a, an elevator. Why should we be thinking about these things? And do you have any tips to practice tone, intonation, inflection, you know, pausing, like what, what advice do you have to, to be more conscious of these things? Yes. So really, really good question, dude. Um, we could literally do an entire podcast on just seven tools, which you could use to really change how you sound for maximum influence. It's just so, so powerful, but let's, let's pick one of them and then let's go through a tip. So let's took, let's take a look at intonation. Cause you mentioned it earlier. Now, for example, the rise and fall of your voice is super important because you want to be engaging. You want to be compelling rather. And if you think about it like this, imagine going to a hospital and you're looking at one of those heart rate monitors where it's like, beep, or it's like, beep, beep, 
beep, you want to be like that individual, right? Who's up, down, up, down, but in a way that's authentic to you. You don't want to be like, hey, my name is Billy. You'll sound like <laughs> one of those weird toys that you get on Christmas, right? So what you really want to think about is imagining your voice is like an elevator. So imagine if you and I are at the event that you've organized in San Francisco, right? Taking it back to that hypothetical example. So we're at the ground floor. You say, Rav, the event's on the 8th. Let's make it happen, dude. Let's make it a good one. So I press 8th. And as we're going up on the 8th floor, I'm telling you a story about my friend, John, who started his business from scratch and went from zero to a million dollars in less than eight months. I've just mm. gone from the ground floor to the eighth floor. Then I say to you, Billy, I left my wallet in the room. We need to go back down. My room's on the second floor. So we go back down to the second. So with the story, I say, but after he made a million dollars, he immediately got audited by the government, and it turns out it was all a Ponzi scheme. So I've gone all the way up to the eighth floor and come all the way down. So your voice should also be thinking in a similar format, right? How can I really tell an engaging story? Well, if it's, you know, all in like this, if it's like this the entire time, or if it's like this the entire time, and I'm like here the whole entire time, it's it's not good for anybody. They're not going to absorb your message. Now, one way to practice that is like this, okay? Take a friend, okay? Take a friend and do a 10-day video challenge, okay? 10 topics, 10 59-second videos, add them to WhatsApp, and you both have to put them in the chat by 10 p.m. your time every single day, okay? Now, each of you will grade the other person on content and delivery. And when you're looking at delivery, you can look at seven tools. And you don't need to use every single one of them, but it's, it's an idea of how many you can use, okay? So starting with, we've got pitch, okay? Then we've got the pause. We've got, for example, speed. We've also got intonation. We've got tone. We've got emphasis, uh, what other one have we got, Billy? What? I always forget the last one. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot it. But um, it's, it must, it's that good. It's that good I can't even remember it, right? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, take those tools and then say, okay, how many of these did this person use? Was it effective? Was it powerful? And that's a really clean way to get good on video, get good at being succinct with your message, learning how to tell impactful stories, and then also delivering them like a pro using techniques that, you know, the, the greatest people, actors, speakers in the world do to really engage their audience. Mm, super powerful, man. So I have two final questions. They're very closely related. The first yeah, one is, what are the biggest myths about communication and public speaking that people who aren't in the industry wouldn't know? they're not thinking about? What are those myths? Mm. Number one myth. I've got to take it back to this Mark Twain quote. So Mark Twain said, there are two types of speakers in this world, the nervous and the liars. It's this idea that individuals will have that they'll get to a point where they never feel nervous. My question is, why would you want that? I enjoy the butterflies, the excitement, it makes me feel like this is important to me. It's just a reframe. You know, nerves will either translate into crippling anxiety or it will be transformed into fuel, which will inspire your audience. So 
this the feeling is exactly the same nerves and excitement you just got to reframe it right and you will never you don't want to get to a point actually you do not want to get to a point where you just show up with no nerves do your thing i'd argue and say when you get to that point maybe something needs to change maybe something needs to change when i was doing theater i remember when i was a kid one of the interesting things was we would spend six months literally rehearsing for five days or four days by the end performance I definitely had less nerves than the first. And I actually found myself like, oh, can we just get through this one now? Like, I'm, uh, like, can we just get through it? And I was like, I felt like, yeah, maybe it is good that it was only four days. Because I don't know if I could do it like the people, <laughs> you know, who do it in Broadway, where they do it every night. I don't think it would be my thing. So just think about it in that way that nerves are a good thing. Okay. And everyone gets them. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. Okay. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. I really agree with what you're saying about being able to transform what could be perceived as something, as you said, that could be crippling if it goes the wrong direction. Mm. But if you transform it into the energy that allows you to show up, uh, in a way that will support the, whatever it is you're doing in a positive way. Um, it's, it's much better. Okay. So here's my last question. What is a commonly held belief in your industry? And let's say your peers mm-hmm. believe this and others believe this to be true that you passionately okay. disagree with. So I would honestly say one of the big ones we've actually already mentioned one of the big ones, and this splits a lot of people is there's actually two. The, the first one would be 99% is delivery but 1% is content, but that 1% needs to be 100% on the money. Because Mm. you take a look at it. How many people spend hours on their presentation, putting it through PowerPoint, then it gets to the morning of the presentation. They go, okay, yeah, I'll just wing it because my content's there. I'll just wing it. How many times have you seen that in corporate, Billy? Like Mm. every time, every single time. So we need to devote enough time to delivery. Okay, we really, really do. And also the pre-presentation routine, all of the beautiful stuff that we spoke about. The second thing is in the virtual world, is it really right to start with story? Sometimes, maybe. Yes. In other times, no. There is not a formula. Uh, We've gone through this. There is not a formula for some people in the context of their audience who already know them who, for example, are their clients and they're there for a specific reason. Yeah, great. Start with a new story or something that they haven't heard. Cool. But imagine if it's a cold audience. Well, you need to get their attention, then transform that attention into a connection through story. So starting with story makes sense, no doubt, but it's got to be nuanced to the context of the situation. There is no formula. Right. And I love the fact that you're acknowledging that even though it may be the right approach. It doesn't mean that it has to be the approach and that there might be others because you talk about stacking energy and asking those questions. That's another approach. And there's a, there's probably 10 other approaches you could take. I don't totally think any fine. anyone should just be rigid with, hey, this is the only way we can do things. So, Robbie, I know you are very active on LinkedIn, so I strongly suggest anyone who wants to get in touch with you to go to LinkedIn to find you. You have lives that you're doing. I know you have Motivation Mondays with Dr. Brian yeah. Harmon in the house. I was watching yeah, some sorry. of those. Um, you it. also have uh, a, a new a new product coming out, right, which is the Signature Story. You also have your Powerhouse Speaker Bootcamp. Walk us through. Yeah, I want man. people to know where they can find more of this incredible value. And so you're, you're 
who who are the people that would best be served by uh, the work that you do and where can they find you? Yeah, man. I mean, look, as you said, LinkedIn is just, you know, where I live really <laughs> right now. It's where I hang out. It's where all my content is. So go check out all the different shows and then there must be about 300 plus videos on there by now, probably more. So go check it out. I'd love to connect with you as well. And if you are a consultant who really does want to humanize their services and actually craft a world-class signature story that, as we said, Billy, connects and converts, then let me know. Drop me a line on LinkedIn. Send me a DM with the word signature story. And let's see if you're a great fit for my new offer, which is, as you said, man, the signature story intensive. I'd love to see if we can partner together on your journey. I love it, man. Well, it's it's been a, a great ride with you today. I want to give you the final word or final thought uh, as we close out uh, what, what would you have as, as a closing word for, for all the listeners right now? Ah, uh, dude, closing words would be the, the hand movements, the, the cool tricks, tips, and techniques doesn't mean anything or doesn't even compare rather to you showing up as the most comfortable, comfortable rather version of yourself when you're presenting all of that stuff all the tactics and strategies show up as you there's nothing more magnetic period and that requires inner work right and it's a process Mm, powerful powerful message i fully agree and i i think we can all channel that side of ourselves more and more where we show up as you've described like we're talking to our friends and so ravi from the days you were Mm. dancing as a seven-year-old (laughs) <laughs> to being on stage as a teen, to being in corporate, to having your own personal blog in the money space. You, my friend, are the real deal, and I'm so honored to know you. You believe you, that bro. we suffer more in our imagination than in our reality, and I'm so glad that in reality that I have an opportunity to know you. You're an amazing guy. Robert Rujani, thank you for being on Inside Out. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you.